This morning's scripture reading will be from Genesis 22, verses 1 through 8. Genesis 22, verse 1 through 8. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. He said, Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him, and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering, and arose, and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes, and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship, and come back to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. Thank you, Jonathan. I hope you came here to worship today. This is a great time to be able to look at God and look at all that God is doing. It's a new year. Things have started off great, right? If not, things will get better. And uh, God is always good to be able to do things. I know we've been talking about worship, and I find a lot of people come with different attitudes with worship. Some are very excited to be here, and they have great friends here, and they fully embrace the experience, and some come because, well, I'm going to get a call if I don't, and I don't want to have to explain why I wasn't there, and so it's better just to go. And then it's difficult, and we struggle through, and the guy always talks too long, and, and I don't want to disappoint you with that this morning. <laughs> so we want to look at a little bit about worship, and to me, one of the most telling passages. This is just so amazing to me that God teaches someone about worship in this way. And Genesis 22 is just one of those passages that I don't know how Abraham got this. I don't know how he understood this. Even with a whole Bible, I probably never would have come up with what he came up with. But it is just incredible. Isaac is his son of promise. And so Abraham was 100 years old before Isaac was born. So setting the story, Abraham's older than all of you. Okay, and then he has a son, and then the son grows up, and so this time period is about, you know, a fairly old guy and his son, and uh, about his God, and he's got to teach his son about God. It says it's a test of Abraham. After he was already faithful, I thought once God tested us and we were faithful, then we were done, but apparently not, because sometimes there are things that we need to learn. And so, once again, this is a test of Abraham. 
all the family issues have been worked out, you know, the whole Ishmael thing and everything else, and now Isaac is there, and they've got the son, and he's grown because he's able to go on this journey with him, no problem whatsoever. God talks to him directly and says, I want you to take your son, the only, the loved, and offer him as a burnt offering. And that is just incredibly wrong. And when God comes to tell you something, that is never what you're going to expect. Go to the land of Moriah, so you can't even do it in the backyard. It's, and, and Abraham goes the next morning. Maybe because he doesn't want to tell Sarah. Maybe he's been telling Sarah all, all night and he's got to get over this. But early in the next morning, he makes preparation. He saddles the donkey. He cuts the wood. Cuts the wood. Wow. And he takes two men with him, and they go to the place where he told him. And he says to the young men, you stay here. I and the boy are going over to this place to sacrifice and come again. It's a little bit difficult to see whether I and the boy are going over and I am coming back or we are coming back. Uh, at least there's the indication of we are coming back. And so he, interestingly enough, takes the sacrifice that we see here. And he puts the sacrifice, or takes the wood, and he puts the wood on Isaac, his son. That says Isaac isn't a little child. Isaac is an older child. And how much do you need for an offering? Best picture I could find. So Abraham's an older guy, and he takes the fire and the knife, gives the wood, and it's got to be a pretty good-sized chunk of wood because, after all, if you're going to offer a sacrifice, and Isaac seems to already know about this and have been through it several times before, and so he's going to carry the biggest part, Abraham especially being older and smarter. So, son, you carry the wood. But then Isaac asked the question, all right, I think we forgot something. We have the fire and we have the knife, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And it's interesting at this point, Abraham just says, God will provide. And they both went on together. And so they are one part together. It's a test. Is it a test of obedience? Well, sure, it's a test of obedience. Are you going to obey me in this? And if it, we didn't know it was a test, and if God hadn't asked and said to us, you know, there's going to be a test, and uh, by the way, uh, God said, I want you to go and kill the child of promise, we never would have allowed this to happen. Because after all, this is the child of promise. He would have protected Isaac with everything he had. He would have protected Isaac with his life, with everything possible. Because after all, not only is this his son, but this is the child of promise. And yet now he's asked to go and offer the child of promise. And as you look at this, 
I'm sure Abraham thought about the times when this promise seemed so fragile, when he was given the promise at 75 years old and then hits 85 and then hits 95, and he's saying, this isn't, I believe God. And it's incredible he says that because it seems so fragile and so impossible that it could even happen. I mean, really, how is this ever going to take place? But he still believes that it will. And he's being asked once again to place the promise of God in something that is so fragile that if you killed God's promise, what would happen? And it's almost like there's no explanation of this whatsoever at all until you realize that, you know what? Here's the two things I know. God gave me the promise, and God said, make an offering, and I'm going to believe in God. And I cannot, by myself, put these two together. It's already been so fragile but if we have to defend the blessing of God, is it really that strong? I mean, if we really have to say, this is God's plan as a church, this is God's plan as my salvation and my forgiveness, and if we have to defend it as if, well, you know, if we don't do a good job defending it, it might fall apart. Absolutely not. Not even if you took a knife to it. Because you have to know the promise of God is so much bigger, even if we don't understand it. And he knows it's been fragile before, and now he's asked to do something that is so unspeakably evil as killing your own child. That is definitely against God. That is on the bad list. It has been ever since beginning times. You're not supposed to kill anyone, much less your own children. I mean, how can this even be possible? But there is a point at which we believe beyond reason. And we do not know how, but we know what he said, and so we will do that. It says, and they came to the place on which... God had told him, and Abraham built an altar there, and he laid the wood in order, and he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham reached out his hand, and he took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. And he said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham looked up and his eye, with his eyes, lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the, the name of the place the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mountain of the Lord, it shall be provided. I wish I'd heard the conversation between them. I mean, just as you think about this and what's going on and what they're going to have to do, here's what has to happen. He's got to go up and we're going to offer a sacrifice. And Isaac knows this. Isaac isn't dumb. Isaac is probably 20. 
And so we know Isaac gets married at 40, just a couple of chapters later, and so he's already lived through some things. He's already carrying the wood. So he's maybe 20, 25, 30, somewhere in there. He's much older, and by the time you've had the arguments with your 12-year-old, it's much more difficult to argue with a 25-year-old, but you're still going to have to. But that's what he says, is he's got to explain to him. And how does this conversation go? Tell you what, let me just tie you up just for fun. Uh, I put some wood over here. Why don't you lay down? Or does he have to come up with the conversation as you think about this of, Son, there's a time when God provides. And God has provided. And you are it. Because God has asked me that I would go and offer you to him. The text says, Abraham built the altar, laid the wood, bound Isaac, laid the son. Really? I mean, there's a whole lot in between there. How do you get your child to do anything, much less be the sacrifice? And couldn't he get up and run away? How tight did he have to bind him? And there's no hint of rebellion in Isaac's heart. Did that change their relationship? Did Sarah already know and say, don't go? Or what had she said to Isaac? Or, you know, is this one of those, mom's really going to be mad at you, dad? There is no hint of rebellion at all. And it says, as he was ready to do this, an angel called his name from heaven and said, don't do it. Seeing that you have not withheld your only son. Now I know that you fear God. The word fear God there can mean you're deathly afraid of something, or it can mean the other way, that you have this great honor and respect and reverence. And it's only by context that you know. And so the word may be correct here. It's probably both. That you would honor God this much. And there's the ram in the thicket. It's caught by its horns. Was the ram already there? Did Abraham already know? And did Abraham already say, there's a ram, but you said offer a son. Indications are, at least the way I've always seen the story, is no, the ram's a surprise. And so he takes the ram and he offers it as a burnt offering instead of his son. It's interesting, it says, the angel of the Lord called from heaven. When you see it as a specific article, the angel of the Lord, it means something in Scripture. It's not just one of the angels of heaven or an angel from God. When it says the angel of the Lord, very often it's, it's speaking in very specific reference to one certain messenger of God. 
and all indications to that one certain messenger of God are that this is Jesus. And if you look at the language with which it happens, just being able to look through this and being able to see this, it, it is very odd. You have not withheld your only son from me. Well, you're an angel, right? No, you didn't withhold your only son from me, God. Because sometimes the angel of the Lord crosses over and it's the Lord who's actually speaking. And so I think there's great indication here that this is not an ordinary angel. This is Jesus as he watches his own sacrifice. And God as he watches the sacrifice that will be done. And it's kind of incredible to think about this as in the name of the Lord it will be provided. And when you think about this and look at this, he asks that he's going to destroy something that is very precious and that God will provide, right? And so he gets ready for the sacrifice. And God will provide what? God will provide... What does that really mean? Our worship is an offering of what we have. Why would God provide the sacrifice? I mean, really, if somebody gives it to you, is it you that's giving it? Is it you that's worshiping God? Abraham believed that God would provide, and maybe it's God will provide a way out. God will provide an escape, or maybe it's that God will provide a ram, and yes, he does provide a ram, and maybe he thought about Isaac as he tries to put all of this together and tries to figure all of this out. God would provide, and how exactly would God provide? Would he provide another child? Because after all, the first one's kind of a miracle, and here he is at a at 100 having a child. Is he going to have another one at 200? So therefore, maybe another child of promise. This one's just the first fruit, and... Let me tell you, that is absolutely false. That is not the way it's supposed to happen. Because there's a little bit of a hint in how this is supposed to happen in Hebrews. And so in Hebrews, as we look at the story, as it talks about it being this great faith of Abraham, in chapter 11 and verse 17, it says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac... And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Now, when you look at the passage and look at what it actually says, by faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, not was about to, he offered up Isaac. Okay. And he received the promise of God, and he is in the act 
then it says, of offering up his own son. And so one is, yes, he did. One is, no, he's in the middle of it. And how are we supposed to read this? I think it's important that we understand the why he did it and why he thought it was possible. Because even though it's through Isaac, your offspring will be named, and he knew it was through Isaac, and he knows there are no other substitution here, he considered that God was able to raise the dead. This is Isaac, and I think it must have been in the conversation with Isaac as he's on the altar, this is going to hurt, son, but I believe you're the promise, and I believe God is able to raise the dead, and I believe in you and what is happening right here today, even though there's nobody else who can even see it, because I sure wouldn't want anyone else to see it. Isaac, you're it. There won't be another child, but can't God raise the dead? And it says, figuratively, he did receive him back. Well, what do you mean, figuratively? Well, it's because it didn't actually happen, but it's saying, yes, he received him back because it was what he believed already. He had already offered his child. It's the intent. It was in his mind. It's the way it happens. The only parallel I might have to this is... If you watched any of the old westerns a long time ago, you see the guys walking with the guns, and they always walk like this, right? I don't have any guns. But you always walk like this, because just in case you might have to draw, right? But in none of the westerns do you ever see, like you do in our current movies, of somebody who pulls their gun and starts waving it. I got a gun. You should stop, you should obey me, you should do what I say, because I got a gun, see, it's right here. There was a different code back then, and and I know this may be odd, but this is the code that I was taught. If you have a gun, don't pull it until you're going to shoot. And if you ever draw, fire. I don't know if you guys were taught that way. That's just the way I was taught. We had guns. Guns were around. You don't wave them. You don't threaten them. And you don't pull one unless you are going to fire. And I think Abraham was like that with the knife. If he pulls the knife, it's coming down. And so the picture that I showed you just a minute ago, I think, is a fraction of a second. I want you to realize that. It's not the, okay, I got a knife. God, got anything to say? Any last-minute words? Any angels that want to say, okay, don't do this now? I don't think the passage reads like that. It reads not like, I think I'm going to be interrupted, so certainly God wouldn't allow this to happen. It reads like, no, he believed this is absolutely what God said and what God wants to happen, and he is going to do it. And he is in the middle of the knife coming down before the angel says, wait. Calls his name, Abraham. You know how that is when mom calls your name, Terry. (laughs) And it's worse if it's Terry Howard. (laughs) 
and then they add the last name, and you just know you better run the other way. And, but he calls his name and says, he says, don't do it. He's not just waving it around. It's, he knows this child is dead, and it's already dead because I am in the act, and it's already happened. And he considered God was able to raise the dead. And he did receive him back. So what's the point? God knows that you would not withhold your only son. God provided the burnt offering. And God will provide And it is a matter of faith because the two conflicting stories of what God will provide and this being the child of promise are just impossible. And I think it's so that this can be written because God provided Jesus when it was our turn. It is God's most precious And we use his provision in our worship. It's not a ram caught in the thicket. It's a son on a cross. And yes, we believe in resurrection. Would you ever allow it to happen if you didn't believe in resurrection? I mean, you've got to believe in resurrection. How confused those disciples must have been when Jesus said, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to be abused there, and I'm going to die, and three days later I'll rise again. And they've got, what? What is he talking about? And even when they get in the middle of it, you see their great confusion. But what I want us to know today is all of this is about, do you believe in resurrection? And that was his whole point. Yes, I believe in resurrection. So worship is about the offering to God. And what do we have to offer? Do we have something? We have faith in his son and in his resurrection. We don't believe in one more chance. God, if you just forgive me this time, I'll do better next time. No, you won't. God, because of resurrection and becoming a new creature, and becoming a new person, the fact that this one has to die, because I don't believe I can ever do better, but I believe in resurrection, and that if I, as a person, would be put to death, that I could be raised again, and that new person could be able to worship you, and could be able to do it. The point is surrender, and the angel puts it, now I know that you would not withhold You would even give away the blessing, and it is extreme obedience. Why would God test with worship? Well, it's for us. He's testing, do you believe in resurrection? Worship is not about getting something out of it. And if you came so that you could get something out of it, well, that would be nice, I hope. That happens for you. But whether that happens or not, I hope you meet God here. 
because that's what worship is about, that you would meet God here and that you would give him an offering. And so what did you bring as an offering today? Did you bring a broken heart, a sorrow, is someone sick or hurting? Did you bring a sin, the one that's eating the hole in you and the one that you can't even forgive yet and the only thing you can do with it is bring it to God? Did you bring the concerns of next week? According to Adam, half of you have already failed. Of course, that tells you which side I'm on. Did you bring, how am I even going to survive? Did we bring questions about faith that we don't understand? It's amazing to be able to look at this story and find ourselves in it. And he finishes it in Genesis 22 because the angel of the Lord, Jesus, I think, comes back again. And it says... In verse 15, and the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven. And he said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand of the seashore. And in your offspring... And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. And so Abraham returned to his young men and they arose and they went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived in Beersheba. And so he calls from heaven again to renew the covenant again because you have. Well, I thought we already had that deal. We did. And because you have, it's a strengthening has ever God ever said that to you again? I'm going to give you salvation. Yeah, we're good. Got it. Rest of my life. You don't ever have to say it. No, isn't it incredible when he says it again and says it again and you feel it again that I have salvation, I have forgiveness of sins. All of those things are taken away. All of those things are washed away and you can feel it every single week when you come before God and he renews that covenant again with you because of what you brought to him in worship. He says, I'll bless you, I'll multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven. And I don't know if you've ever been where the stars of heaven really show, because if you go outside and stand in my yard and look at the stars of heaven, eh, there's a dozen. It's just really not that many, you can't see that, but Abraham doesn't, have a flashlight and when it gets dark that night and God says, I'm going to do this. It's like, wow. That's incredible, God. That you could even make that in the first place, but that you could make me like that? You mean you made all of that as a visual so that you could tell me you're going to make me like that? He says, it's going to be incredible. There's even going to be people in Arizona because they're going to be children of faith like Abraham who worship because you have obeyed my voice. 
I think that's one of the things that's important in this passage. Because you have obeyed my voice. When it doesn't even make sense to you. Because you have obeyed my voice when it isn't ethical or moral. Because you have obeyed my voice. Because you obeyed it from faith. It is not just because God said it. Because it's absolutely wrong. And wouldn't you not do something that was absolutely wrong? No, I would do it because there's a God who said it. And because God said it. And because I can believe in the impossible. When it speaks about obedience, it's speaking about the obedience of faith. Not just the obedience of a word. Not just the obedience of a command. But an obedience that believes in a God who says it. And I think that's incredibly important that we would understand that about our salvation. That we have something to believe in. That we believe Jesus died for us. And that it also works for us. And if we die to ourselves and if we put away our sin and we come before God with our sin ready to die and just before the knife... There's a voice that says, wait. Now I know that you wouldn't withhold your own life. And we look up, and Jesus is there. And he says, let me take your sin. All the anger and the ugliness, and we want to protest. Except for one thing. We believe in resurrection. And it's the only thing that makes it work. Is we believe in resurrection. But what happens next isn't a knife. It's a nail. And we watch as he's nailed to a cross. And God says, because you have faith and have obeyed, because you believe Jesus could be raised from the dead, and because you followed that example and you were baptized into him and you were buried in water with him and you were resurrected to walk in a new life, and because you understand that and believe in resurrection for yourself from sin. Our worship is never forgotten. And our worship is always about him. And it isn't a one-time test. It, It happens every week. And there's even the bread and the cup as the reminder. Yeah. It's time again. And we lay our sins at the feet of Jesus at his cross and we let him take them as we believe in resurrection. And we realize Jesus is not caught. It is that God will provide. And Jesus willingly came And willingly gave his life for you. 
that God would provide. And so my question to you this morning, have you believed and obeyed what God is providing? Do you believe in resurrection, that your life can be new again, that all of the sins that you came in here with and the issues and the things that you were going to pray about, that resurrection is the answer to all of those? And that if you could lay them before God, he says, my son died for you. He healed, he taught, he took away sin. Have you believed and obeyed what God provides? Won't you answer that question this week?